Welcome to the Monsters Intelligent Podcast. I'm Nick Campbell. We have Noel Kirkpatrick. Hello. Kellen Petruska. No. And I think I just said Kellen Petruska, which is not really your name. <laughs> I Kellen answered Petruska. everything. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, we are the Monsters Intelligent. We are minus Matt today. Um, Very sad. I'm so sad. So sad. Um, but he felt, felt that he had better things to do. So, you know, screw him. Um, so this week uh, on television was the most watched television program of all time, Super Bowl 45. It disappoints me a little bit, that, that stat, but okay, we can get to that. Well, if you lump in scripted and unscripted, I think the most watched of all time scripted programming is still MASH, uh, the series finale, but... That seems so much more poignant. It does. But... As it, as it turns out, unscripted program of all time, Super Bowl 45, the Pittsburgh Steelers versus my Green Bay Packers, and the Green Bay Packers are world champions, which means I'm a world champion by, by association. Oh, nice. Yeah. Isn't that are cool? actually from Wisconsin? My mom's from Milwaukee. Oh, great. So I really had no choice in the matter when I was growing up. And, uh, and now I've kind of dedicated myself to the team, and I feel like that for putting in you know close to 30 years of fandom, I deserve to be a world champion, too. So I've been wearing my cheese head, running around town, stuff like that, yelling at people, that kind See, of thing. See, I like cheese. Okay. And and I hate Roethlisberger. So I guess I'm practically... You're you're one of us. You're, I am. You can be a world champion, too. <laughs> Thanks, goody. Yeah. I've never heard that before, certainly. Uh, and the uh, so there's only... Uh, there's a lot of great stuff that came from the Super Bowl. Uh, one of the saddest things, the things that broke my heart a little bit, especially with the stat that is the most watched program of all time ever. Christina Aguilera totally screwed that little, uh, that little song up for her beginning. Well, and it's just such a shame. You know, my mom actually was, uh, I was home, so I was watching this with my parents. And my mom really liked how she was belting it out. Mom thought that was pretty good. I was a little unimpressed. Mm. I don't know why. I just, it was just all chest voice. And I don't know, she didn't give me the same kind of power she's given me in some of her songs. Um, but I, I, it was, it was, it's one of those moments where it was like the Janet Jackson thing. I mean, not nearly to the extreme of it being like completely offensive to people, but where it happened and you're like, wait, did that just happen? Did I I not catch that? You know, I I bet you it was rewound like that Janet Jackson moment was because, you know, let's get real. Does anyone really make the claim they know all the words to the national anthem? I don't think so. I hope not. And yet when I heard it wrong, I knew it was wrong. So... Uh, I, f- I felt bad for her. I felt terrible. I mean, it's not like one of those things like, don't worry, nobody knows. Because, right. I mean, everyone is by everyone in the country. Right. Yeah, Noel, did you watch it after? or? Um, no, actually, I stopped watching the Super Bowl after that really weird and creepy reading of the Declaration of Independence that they did. Yeah. So we should, I, I would like to talk about that after you guys talk about all the stuff around the game. Because that was just bizarre to me. Well, and I think that's the thing that kind of bums me out about it being the most watched show ever, is that we have this really weird idea that, like, football is American, mm-hmm. and, th- you know, that it just it addresses, like, the best in all of us, or something, you know, and that, when they blended it with the Declaration of Independence, I think that was part of, like, the, what they were talking about. I'm like, hello, gentlemen, it's just a game. Right. I mean, well, I- this was a pretty good game. But the, the self-importance of it was a little off-putting. So to have so many Americans kind of say, yes, indeed, this is one of the most important events of the year, you know, I kind of wish it would be something more important, like watching Egypt celebrate 
their leader stepping down. You know, something that actually like says is something significant for the world. But right, and I mean, I was just the entire time they were doing this, I was just wondering who they were declaring independence from. Um, <laughs> was it soccer? I mean, was was it about the other football that was? <laughs> it's quite possible taking over because they kept all the stuff about King George in there. So I was just like, are you guys still upset about England? <laughs> So is that why you, I mean, did you actually stop because you were so put off by it? Like, that oh, no. I wasn't, I wasn't planning on watching it anyway. It was just on during, while um, my mom was watching the pregame. And I was just like, okay, well, that's interesting. And then I started watching anime on Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> As yeah, I, I was doing research during the game, so I did have my computer in front of me. But, you know, I saw most of it. But the other the other thing was, um, I thought Leah Michelle was under underwhelming, and I thought that was surprising. I wasn't surprised that that she was underwhelming. She underwhelms me most of the time. Well, and I was kind of excited because Glee does so much messing with the voices, mm. and you know I don't know how much they have to mess with her. So I was kind of excited to see her live, mm-hmm. seemingly pure, you know, without right. um, auto tune. <laughs> right, right. And so I was like, huh, maybe she isn't as special as I think she is. Because I actually really enjoy her voice, normally speaking. Uh, but I just, um, it, it, one of the biggest complaints that came out about both performances, I think, was when these singers make the song more about them than about the song. Mm-hmm. They feel it so deeply, or at least they pretend to feel it so deeply. And, and ironically, feeling it really deeply, or at least presenting it as such, right. makes it less deep. It does. It uh, it loses a bit of sincerity when you when you try to fake sincerity. Yeah, and her voice just wasn't. You know, I don't know. I think if she had been more simple about it, it would have been much prettier. So um, did I, you I, her typical just... like shouting thing that she does? Because I remember when I watched her on the Tonys, she was shouting the song at people, <laughs> which was weird. Though I'm assuming she thought thinks that's how people sing on Broadway is that they shout <laughs> songs. Well, she's so, been on Broadway or at least off Broadway, right? That. Uh... Spring Awakening was the one that she had a big role in. I've actually watched some of it on YouTube, and um, I actually thought, she, you know, the mind you, I'm just watching clips on YouTube, so it's not like I'm terribly familiar. But I actually, you know, she was pretty natural there. Mm-hmm. So, but she has de- she has definite affectations that annoy me on Glee, and it can, that could be part of the character. But when I see Leah Michelle having them too, it makes me a little disappointed. So, yeah, I don't think the show got off to a great start. Football definitely had to redeem the day, and it did. It was a great game. It was a really great game. Um, and, you know, that's something the NFL has really focused on the last few years. Like, the games in the last few years have been really great, really you know, good, like, fourth quarter kind of games. And, yeah. uh, I, I mean, especially from the uh, the Giants-Ravens game years and years back where um, it was a defensive battle and no, there weren't, wasn't any scoring. I think since then the games have really kind of stepped up. And I know that's not really the NFL's – like, the NFL can't really control the, what, what happens during the Super Bowl, but I think because of their policies and how they have, uh, how their drafts are and how their salary caps are and stuff like that, they've really kind of positioned it that, you know, new teams can get into the Super Bowl every year and everybody's got kind of gets that chance and it, it really kind of comes down to wire. Literally the two best teams in the, in the football got together in the Super Bowl and that was what really kind of made this game and kind of made it exciting, I think. It was a little more, it was a little more exciting than I wanted it to be I would like to, to have been a blowout so I could sit down for the game because I didn't sit down the entire game. No, it's true. My mother got so nervous at the end. She almost wanted us to turn it off. <laughs> and she went into the game not caring who won. It's funny. Green Bay really won her, her over during the game so much that she became uncomfortable mm-hmm. when um, 
when the Pittsburgh team started to make a comeback. So, I mean, that's a pretty good game if it leaves people, like, really on the edge of their seats like that. Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, another part of the aspect of this game is that these are – and it's something that the NFL was really trying to sell all week uh, leading up – or the last two weeks leading up to it – is that these are two of the most storied franchises in, in the league. I mean, Green Bay's been around since 1929. The Steelers yeah. have been around since uh, – around that time, too. I mean, these are the two of the oldest teams in the league. They have – multiple championships and titles and you know they've got a personality that they've maintained throughout the years and stuff like that and so it's you know it's and they're and uh i mean from a marketing standpoint these are two of the most recognizable brands outside of the united states if if somebody's going to like a team from from, uh american football it's going to be somebody like the packers or the steelers or the cowboys or something like that and their fans are so committed we have two graduate students who i think they're married i think the reason they got married is probably because they both love this team equally crazily (laughs) Um, and i mean i've never seen fandom like their fandom it Mm -hmm. is intense and i actually think green ray probably has that that similar level of intensity among their fans uh, especially since Green Bay is owned by the city, they're, they're the only they're the only team in the league that's owned by the actual city itself. Which, which is part of why they win me over. I'm always uh, happy to see Green Bay do well because I just think that's neat. Yeah, socialists. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it means the town really has a, a, an ownership stake, a real interest. You know, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of delightful. That's commie talk. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, when you think about this game and think about how it played out, you know, in terms of television and structure and plot and whatever, I mean, you have a lot of the, the makings of just a really excellent TV series here because you have the town that owns the team versus the, you know, the really rabid, devoted, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, kind of a town that you could look at as, you know, struggling like this was an industry town and so having to redefine itself in a new age and having the the football team be one of the things that gives them pride you know so you have that that big level there but then you have like the little stories you have Roethlisberger who I'm not a fan of but he I mean the man really he's looking for redemption sure you know he had a humiliating year and um you know whatever else you want to say about whether the accusations were true or not. Certainly, that 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 uh, was a big dent into in his armor, and so you know he was out there trying to kind of really bring something home for the team, do something for the town. Mm-hmm. You have the defensive people for Green Bay. Who? The, how many of them got knocked out during that game? Oh, they've had they had uh, three people that were knocked out of that game. They've had, and they've had uh, seventeen people on uh, inst- injury reserve throughout the season. So yeah, they've been banged up all year. Yeah, so you go into the game and you can't finish the Super Bowl. I mean, that's drama right there. Yeah. And then you just have the actual structure of the game itself, where Green Bay just came on really strong, and then people started to fall, and Pittsburgh came back, and then it really just became a battle at the end. I mean, that was structurally, this game was wonderful. Right. And it's fitting that uh, there's a Lombardi quote that's kind of about this um, Lombardi being the, uh, the story Green Bay coach and the person that the trophy's named after. Football mm-hmm. is blocking and tackling, everything else is mythology. And uh, mm. that's what a lot of, I mean, that's what makes the drama of this game is mythology. And I, I credit a lot of that with NFL films kind of building up um, that kind of mythology over the years and um, people kind of emulating that. But yeah, this game is. Being, this is a really good game. Like, like I said, I would have been okay with it being a blowout too, uh, with Green Green Bay's favor. But I yeah. think that uh, yeah, it was a good game, and it's as uh, as much as it pains me because I love the series finale of Mash. But uh, this was a, I mean, this is a testament to what to the power of television, I guess. But this is the most watched television program of all time, and like there's 111 million people, I think. Which is yeah, I think so. absurd. And yet the commercials did not uh, overwhelm. No. 
No, they were terrible. They really were. There was very few that were actually very interesting. I was really surprised by how kind of dud-like they were. The only one that I think that I really enjoyed was the Darth Vader one, the Volkswagen Darth Vader commercial. Yeah, and and but that one people had already seen beforehand. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of out there. It wasn't like people discovered it during the game, you know. Right. Um, the Doritos ads made it made it made a fuss. People, everyone remembered them, whether they liked them or not. Was you know, but that's that's okay. Doritos took some chances, right? They had some wacky ads, and true. if you have a hundred and eleven million people, you may as well go wacky. <laughs> that's true. Well, speaking of, what did you guys think about the Groupon commercials then? Oh, the ones directed by Christopher Guest. Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of people have, didn't like them. I thought they were fine. I don't remember them, so that tells you they're, something. They're the ones that involved, um, like, Timothy Hutton talking about... Um, Nepal, or Tibet, Nepal, Tibet. Tibet, and then talking about how good the curry is. <laughs> okay, yeah, that is coming back to me. I think I was just confused. Yeah, there's a the, the, there's one commercial with Cuba Gooding Jr. talking about uh, the whales and how they're endangered, and walking along a beach in what looks like Washington or somewhere in the Pacific Northwest... Just walking in and talking about how we need to save the whales. And then he's talking about, but it's even more fun to watch them from a boat. And talking about how Groupon, you can buy a, a tour on a boat through Groupon. Uh, I, I, I mean, they were whatever. I, I had nothing those commercials, pretty much. Yeah, and I, I, I actually have used Groupon, so you would think I would have paid more attention to those ads. But I, for somehow, somehow what those ads weren't capturing is what Groupon actually does. Yeah. You know, and, and why, why, why you would... Used, why would you pay them money to potentially go to a place that you're not sure you're going to go to? <laughs> I am holding on to a Groupon that I bought um, for to get a haircut. Uh-huh. And the place, only certain stylists would accept it. So I'm actually still holding on to the damn thing because it's in St. Louis. And I have to like time it perfectly so I can go maybe, maybe someday use it. So you definitely take a chance with Groupon. Like you may not. You may waste money because you have to actually spend something right. to make that work. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, you know... The, the, the ads were a little too wacky, and they kind of should have shown me. I mean, it's a recession. Groupon is what you use in a recession so that you can still go out. Like, there were all kinds of ways they could have tapped into America here right. and tapped into the moment. And instead, we get somebody talking about curry. You know what I mean? Something yeah. – it was all kind of like rarefied experiences and luxurious moments. And mm-hmm. that's not really what Groupon should be aiming for. So maybe I just – it, they, they didn't hit with me because they aren't how I think about the company's strengths. So, so yeah, I really was underwhelmed. Um, I barely looked up from my computer during the commercials. What did you guys think about the halftime show then? Because I wasn't watching it when the halftime show happened, and I just happened to look at my Twitter feed, and then all of a sudden there's so much anger happening in my Twitter feed. <laughs> there, there are a few things in this life that I despise more than the Black Eyed Peas. I'm tired of seeing them. Like it's like they they're willing to do anything. Like I, I think that they're scheduled to do uh, a friend's bar mitzvah next week. <laughs> That's I mean they're they're up for anything. They, they will they they are willing like they are willing participants in order to hold themselves out and you know that's fine for making money and that's fine for them. Like I'm not going to fault them from trying to make money, but I am tired of seeing them. Like I I don't know. I don't know what the Black Eyed Peas say about football. Like, they've had great halftime shows in the last few years, like Prince coming out and doing a halftime show, Springsteen, Tom Petty. These are the great halftime shows that they've been putting on. And then Black Eyed Peas seems like a, ugh, just makes me want to throw up a little bit. So uh, I actually thought the people on Twitter were being super unfair. And, and, you know, your Twitter feed all depends on who you follow. And I follow a bunch of TV snobs, so... (laughs) 
you that know, survive. We follow the same people, right? So I, I, I couldn't, I kind of couldn't believe all of the the anger that was was occurring there. The black eyed peas are, a, yes, they are. They don't do very much. They're just fun. They're catchy. They're fun. They're dance music. Um, they're playful. They can have some really. They can do some really intriguing beats and rhythms. Um, I mean, boom, boom, boom is an interesting song. Um, and there's there's always certain um, parts of their songs that tend to stick with me. That even when I hate other parts of the songs, I can't help myself. Like Black Eyed Peas or something, I just kind of ha- listen to. I it's like beyond my control because they're not really that offensive. Mm-hmm. See, but, I, I feel like that the uh, they're they're very good at creating hooks. But instead yeah. of uh, a hook uh, sticking with me and making me happy when I hear it, their hooks feel like I'm infected and that I need to get rid of the infection. Like I'm, I, I feel like that they haunt me like a like a ghost or like a monster, and that I need to get rid of it. That, that's it's, it's different from a, a different uh, from another band's kind of hook. It's like just, a Katy Perry hook. A Katy Perry oh. hook, even yeah, like okay. the, the fireworks song stuck with me forever, and I just wanted isn't it, it terrible gone. how it does that? Yeah, yeah, I just wanted it gone. But that's how Black Eyed Peas are for me. Like I, I don't feel like that. I want the Black Eyed Peas around me, and sometimes somehow they're always in front of me, even if I try to avoid them, they're still there. And I also have associations, you know, Will I Am was a big Obama supporter, and so I appreciate that about them. And Fergie came out and did that solo album, which was so self-involved. <laughs> drove me nuts. Like, I hated all of the songs. So to have her go back to the peas and just be fun again, I actually kind of respected that. Like, you know, they just, I think they have fun making music. And so, you know, I, and if, for the Super Bowl, trying to appeal to a very wide audience, you know, my nephew apparently ate it up. He thought they were awesome. Um, <laughs> So with the younger set, they were definitely right in a niche. Uh, so I, and, and you knew nothing was going to be offensive. There was nothing the Black Eyed Peas were going to do that was, caused, was going to cause trouble. No, no. They are fun and playful. And in the middle of a game like that, people that stands, I don't know how the, the audience there reacts. I don't know what it seemed like to them. But if they got up and danced at all, that's probably exactly what they're going for. I guess. I'm saying it was great. I'm not saying it was anywhere near the best halftime show of the Super Bowl ever or anything. I mean, I'm, but it was certainly passable. I have some serious backlash issues with the uh, the Black Eyed Peas. Mm. Um, I hear you, and I you know I don't think anyone left the game thinking about them. Yeah. And there are halftime shows where you can leave the game thinking about the halftime show. So. I hope not. I hope that yeah. I hope that after that game, they're like, what about the halftime show? And it was so random. Usher showing up and Slash showing up. Oh, Slash. Did he need a sun deck bill or something? Is that why he was there? I have no like, idea what was going on. What, was, what is he doing there? Yeah, that was just odd. And then I was waiting for Justin Timberlake to show up, but I guess that can't really happen. Yeah. Well, he's got better things to do, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, he, you know, the, the game was the event, and maybe that is completely appropriate. Yes. True that. Uh, I'll agree with that. But there's the event that was after the event. Uh, Which lost, what, 84 million people did not watch Glee? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. Like, you, the, that time slot after the Super Bowl is supposed to be a great moment for, you know. For when when is it ever a great moment? We, do you guys know what have been the shows in the last few years? And when have they ever really benefited? Right. I, I'm, I'm thinking mostly of Alias here, where that was it was this big to do, and it was actually a kick-ass episode. But then it got bumped for Penn and Teller, mm-hmm. and no one really, you know, no one really saw that great episode. What what show has really benefited from the Super Bowl bump? Um, Friends and the John Claude Van Damme episode. Hello. Oh, that was a good one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but did their numbers go up? 
Uh, that was how early was that in their career? In that I think that was their third or fourth season. Yeah, Monica and Rachel both tried to date him, so that was pretty early. Yeah. yeah. It, it, this is a question I, I maybe I should research this. I'm curious now because you know I think a lot of the times we have it's like when they talk about the ratings for the Oscars and other award shows, and I'm like, why do we think this is something that should be popular? Right. Who decided that the Grammys should have big audiences? Like, why don't I just go listen to the albums? I just don't understand. There's an expectation there that maybe historically these things were events. That's, that's my question. So maybe historically television shows have really benefited from the Super Bowl. But it just doesn't seem like in the last few years I've heard of any show that really got the bump. Definitely not in the last decade. I can't think of anyone in the last decade that really got a good bump unless there's some kind of survivor thing. But I, I yeah. mean... Something yet, like that that I don't watch that got bump, but so that's something I'll look into and report back. Remind me, research Super Bowl shows. Right. But, so when it, I watched Glee, and you know it was uneven. Imagine that. <laughs> well, it is. It like with the commercials, it surprises me that when people are given this amazing opportunity for exposure, they choke. Well, not only choke, but they're just insanely boring. I mean, they're. Doing a thriller and then whatever they mashed it up with, because Glee can't help but mash something up. Um, yeah. It was really uninspired. Well, do you but, know what the problem was with thriller from my point of view? Aside from the fact that it's been done a gazillion times. Well, yeah, it was really much cuter when Jennifer Garner did it in that movie. Yes, <laughs> it was. That was great. That was really funny. But you know what? Medium angle shot. They were doing all these weird close-ups. I couldn't see anybody dancing. Yeah. I never saw the production. Like, I don't believe any of those people actually learned to dance. You know, I, and, and what you see in Thriller is it goes for the medium-long shots, and you see everybody. Michael's in front, but you see everyone behind him, and it's this big mass of people dancing in unison, all together on the, you know, and that's why dance like that, when it's a group dance, and that's what's amazing, is that they are all so together. And instead, what we got with Glee was a highly edited montage collection of just quick shots of people not even in motion really just like freeze shots um and so i didn't there there was no there was no production well this is i mean generally kind of true of glee in general i mean their choreography is never very complicated yeah so i mean i don't i think sliding them for that is just kind of like sliding them for being them at this point well but i'm just saying that particular song is not really about the song it's about the dance yeah, and so when you don't do the dance, you're not really doing thriller. Did no, you guys I, feel like that the thriller, like doing the thriller dance, is a little dated? I mean, I know that it's been popular lately to do like flash mobs with thriller, but that was like right around uh, Michael Jackson's death. Like, do you feel like that it's a like why is this? I mean, it's not even Halloween, so like why is this? Well, they narratively justified it, which is weird for me to say that Glee narratively justified a song choice. <laughs> That they explained it because um, they were having problems with reconciling um, some of the football players being on Glee again. <laughs> and um, so they incorporated the football players into the Glee club, and they were going to do Thriller because when that prison, or when that prison did Thriller and they organized it and rehearsed it, violence went down in the prison, et cetera, et cetera. So they figured that this would be a good team-building exercise and cease with the hostilities between the two groups of football players and Glee members. You're right. I had forgotten all of that backstory there. Right. And 
it's a really nice idea, except for the fact that there will be no follow-through, and it turns out that McKinley High has a hockey team that is just itching to be the most respected and powerful group in the high school, and was thrilled when the football players decided to get into zombie makeup. Well, and who actually believes any of the scenes we saw involving the football team at all, especially on the field? Everything on the field was absurd. And not, like, fun glee absurd, but, like, just dumb. The girls on the field laying down, dumb. What, picking up the ball, being confused and getting knocked down and we're supposed to care? Dumb. The way they won, dumb, 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 dumb. I wasn't even paying attention to how they won by that point. So how? No idea. Like it made no was, sense. Was, was that the episode that also included Sue's cannon? Yes. Okay. Which yeah. also was dumb. Yeah, because there was a cannon. They wanted to shoot poor Brittany out of the cannon. Yeah, see, I'm not, you know, I'm not actually a big Glee naysayer. Again, Twitter, people love to hate on Glee. They think it's fun. Anything that becomes popular, people like to hate on. Fine. I, you know, that's pretty hey, typical. I hated on it before it was popular. <laughs> <laughs> You're an OG hater. <laughs> but that said, um, you know, I, when I critique this this particular episode, I mean, I, I'd like to say that I, this show was particularly bad. Yeah. No, I'd agree. Though, wait until you watch this, this past week. <laughs> I, I thought that this week, the past week was supposed to be a lot better. Um, well, considering that it's the epitome of Ryan Murphy being bored, no. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a Gap ad, too, so enjoy that in-show in commercial. Oh, no, really? Mm. Yes. Yeah, seeing all the Glee kids in ads is kind of funny, like during the show, and seeing which actors are there and which actors are not there. I'm, I'm, I'm actually getting really curious about all of that. Like, how much can these kids, you know, prostitute themselves for advertising before they lose their little Glee Club appeal? I think Glee's more interesting as an industrial practice than it is as a show practice, considering how well it's mobilized the show to sell stuff. Yeah. Be it iTunes or, you know, taking advantage of the winter hiatus to release a season 2.1 DVD set and to sell albums and to sell live shows and to sell Chevy or Ford cars. I can't remember which. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, with, with shows like this, when you have young, talented actors, we'll just say that and assume that they all are young and talented, you know, they, they, they have They're to be thinking cool. about what, what comes next. And, you know, Leah Michelle, I don't based on, like, her magazine covers and whatever else, I mean, she's really trying to be something she's not. So it'll be, to see, however long Glee goes on, some of these kids are definitely going to want to run soon. So we're going to get a lot more backstage drama, I think. Yeah, she sped up the Miley Cyrus cycle really quickly. (laughs) What do you mean, to the, like, sex pop thing? Yes. It's just like, that didn't even take, like, a season. (laughs) Uh, yeah, and, and it, that's not what she is. No, it's it's not really what what her look is. It's not. Um, that's not what her, where her strengths are. And it's always interesting when stars misunderstand that. Although to be fair, like I didn't know Leah Michelle's name. Like I knew that girl. That I knew the brunette from Glee, and I, I didn't know her name. But I didn't know who her name was until that GQ article came out. Yeah. I mean, there's at least that kind of brand recognition for. Her. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. She's in the spotlight, and people are. Or knowing who she is. So there is something to be said for that. 
Although I'm, I am still a bit infatuated with the new kid, with Kurt's maybe potential boyfriend. What's his name? Chris Angel or no? Chris Angel's the magician. What's this kid's name? I can't remember. He's good. Like he's, he's really he's good in a way that isn't at all annoying. Yeah, no. Um, even though I mean they live in that you know beautiful private school utopia of tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> I went to private school. I had a good time. Was it a utopia of tolerance? Um, no, I'm not sure tolerance was the, you know, highlight of, of my academic experience there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that I'm, I'll be interested to see if they can keep that actor as charming as he is currently. I mean, for me, that was the highlight of the football episode, the, the Super Bowl episode. Just he and Kurt and all the boys doing a song. It's a song I don't even really care about. Like, the song to me is kind of a nothing song. But I enjoyed watching them do it. Well, then you may like this past week's episode. Oh, good. Yeah, we need to see more of those boys. McKinley High School isn't a private school, is it? No, but uh, Kurt went to um, what's commonly called, um, what, gay Narnia? Because of how <laughs> he's there and safe. Because he transferred after being bullied from so, a football player who himself is gay. Interesting. But, interesting. So, um, I'm from Lima. Uh, so... I uh, I know that area really well. There are no gay utopias. In my <laughs> I, I will assure you of that. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, they'll keep doing at least that storyline well. Because Kurt is something where they could easily destroy him too. And so far, that actor's you know got no, the rep. He's the reason to watch that show. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so hopefully they won't ruin it. Yeah. Speaking of shows that are uh, probably setting us up to be ruined, uh, Chuck has been uh, okay. relatively good lately. I was listening to you guys from last week talk about it. You seemed really excited about yeah. some promising notes. Yeah, they, it's just that there's the, now, but as Chuck fans, though, like you watch the show and you know it's good, it's good, and you know you're being set up because at some point it's going to just unbalance and we're going to get versus the honeymooners again. Mm. And that's gonna, that's going to be disappointing. So why can't you just hold on to the moment now and just say, oh, it's the Chuck I remember, and just like. Live in the moment and just tomorrow be damned. You know, I do that. I, I revel in it right after the episode airs. And then the next day, the, the, the thought comes. is like, it's going to all end soon. The fear and dread sets it. Exactly. <laughs> no, he wakes up screaming, having a nightmare of a rerun of the honey, uh, Chuck vs. the Honey <laughs> But no, uh, this past week's episode was great. I mean, we had John Larroquette return, which is always a pleasure to have him on anything, really. And but everyone got a chance to shine, and it all kind of worked. I mean, the family hijinks fed into the spy storyline really nicely, um, and Casey got to do really cool stuff like shoot people through a wall. Right, that was awesome. <laughs> What's really good about this episode, and uh, I mean, and maybe this is just because I saw Chris Fedak at the beginning. Uh, he he wrote this with Chris Newman. Um, this episode, I think, is like the epitome of what the what the showrunners want the show to be. Like this, it had the perfect balance throughout. It had, um, I mean, even little things like uh, Sarah using her spy techniques in order to in order to um, seduce Chuck. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. That kind of stuff is. I mean, it seemed like this is what the show is almost like the template of what the show should be. The, the show should be this balance of their lives and, and all the, the aspects, and they all feed into each other and that kind of thing. 
And then, but what we get from other episodes is just an unbalance. Either we get, it's either too campy or it's too serious or it's too Chuck centered or it's too whatever. This was a balanced episode. And I think that's what's, what really worked about it. Yeah. And I think the other thing that kind of made it balanced was there really wasn't anything happening at the Bible. It's true. There was no, there was no gesture. There was no big mic. I mean, we got some quick cuts to the Bymore and seeing John Larroquette in a green polyester. Which was awesome. Which was amazing. I've never felt polyester against my skin before. <laughs> it was great. And his locker for his, his employee locker was just as cool as it should be. With exactly. the flasks and the silver sterling. It was great. But there were there wasn't a, there wasn't an unneeded subplot, basically. They, exactly. They didn't need it. They didn't need to go back to the buy more in order to get the comic relief that they need because they were able to find it within the actual A-plot or whatever, the, the plot yeah, that's so around you. They didn't need I the mean, buy morons. You had, you had a flashback to the fall of the Berlin Wall. I mean, what more comedy could you do? <laughs> <laughs> with, with, uh, with a General Beckman wearing a blonde wig, which was fantastic. Um, it was eighties. Everything was dirty blonde. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and General Beckman coming out with the bazooka, telling him the duck. Also very cool. Yeah. So uh, it was a really strong episode. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the promo for the Charlie's Angels inspired episode that we're getting next this uh, tomorrow. Um, I feel iffy about that. I feel iffy at best. Yeah, I don't know about that at all. Um. So, yeah, I'm just trying to hold on to this one, but at the same time, I feel that continuing dread that we're going to be let down soon. I, I think one of the best lines of last week's episode was the line where uh, Casey was like, we need a bad guy. Because yeah. they kind of do need a bad guy. And they need one as fun as um, Volkov is the problem. They're and... never going to find one as cool as Volkov. Timothy Dalton. God bless him. Well, I'm really happy that you got this moment to remember the good old days. I, this isn't—I don't, don't think we want to transition to this yet, but it seems appropriate to say the office too gave us a glimpse of what has been excellence in the past. You know, it really did. I haven't laughed at an office in so long, and I laughed throughout the office. It was funny. Yes, was who really knew? Good. It was sharp, and I—I I don't know if that's what was different about this episode, but just a lot of really sharp stuff into it. I mean, all the all the elements just worked. I mean, even like little things like uh, when Andy was like, "Don't don't look at Stanley. I, I accidentally did a Sudoku." Like little stuff like that. Just I mean, the the everything from the teaser, um, which with uh, Daryl's uh, grandmother dying and the tear at the end, yeah. all the way through, just was all very very sharp. And uh, yeah, it's been a long time since I felt like the, the comedy was that sharp. Yeah, and everybody got to be funny. Yeah. You know, Jim and Pam had their own little thing going on on the side, and it was really funny. It, it was, was it was funny. a little charming. Yeah. Um, Michael, I mean, I really like Michael and Holly, and I liked that all the characters too were like, okay, we all like that Michael got Holly back. Yeah, nobody was at all <laughs> trying to argue with that because they are they are they are really cute together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just loved watching all of the characters react to them. Yeah. And I mean that that scene where they're in the break room, and I mean that's that's totally that's a very realistic kind of scene where they're like, "Don't get me wrong, I really am happy for the both of them, but it's kind of gross." Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. It, I I I think that a lot of that, that show was honest, was very uh, real, and it didn't it didn't kind of it was didn't feel self involved. Like it didn't kind of feel like that. It was. Uh, 
totally relying on the quirks of its characters or whatever. It felt like it was an honestly written episode. And I, I don't know if that was... I, I, I didn't catch who wrote the, the, the last week's episode, but it was a moment of inspiration for them. I think that was great. Well, and I think people were kind. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the big difference between this office and the British office, from what I can tell, other than the fact that Michael is sometimes competent, right. is that there's a lot more kindness and that this show has heart. And this particular episode embraced all of those things. Yeah, it's true. I mean, now, what, what was Dwight doing this whole episode? I'm trying to think because I'm trying to think of what usually brings the episodes down, and Dwight can often be problematic. So, what was his role this week? You know, he was mostly just uh, adjunct to a lot of the other stories. Like he was uh, making fun of Jim for being drunk. He was. Uh, he came up with the list of people that have had sex at the office. He, uh, what else did he do? Oh, my favorite moment of the whole thing was he was rocking Michael back and forth when he was really sad about uh, about Holly leaving, and he was trying to get Kevin to do the faces through the, through the window. Uh, yeah, so Dwight, in very small little bits, yes, is just enough Dwight. That's all we need. It's, uh, I mean, he, you know, Dwight uh, subplots are good, but he's at his best when he's just kind of adjunct to a lot of the other storylines. Yes. Yeah, little Dwight goes a long, long way. It certainly does. Uh, you know, I even thought that the Aaron Andy stuff it was cute, and I, I've gone on record knowing saying that I don't like that situation at all, that whole triangle thing. But I thought that stuff was really cute too. Um, you know, it was just a uh, yeah, sharply, deftly written episode, and uh, I think that uh, uh, keep that coming. If if they can keep that going, even after. Uh, uh, Steve Carell leaves, then I'm okay with that series kind of going on for a little longer. But I'm sad that that might be, again, I mean, maybe that's the pestilence, the cynic in me. But I think like, does anyone is, really expect them to be this good every week? No. Yeah, I, can't, I can't expect that, and that's what's sad. No, because you will be seriously disappointed. It's true. <laughs> there, some, some of what these shows do is they just kind of embrace the excesses of particular characters. You know, uh-huh. it, 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 comparing it again to Glee, it's the Sue Sylvester problem where she can be the best part of that show. But the minute you make her too much Sue, it, it, she fails. Right. The character just you know, becomes unlikable or unbelievable or whatever else. Um, they don't, you know, when some, see, it just seems like writers sometimes get so excited when they feel like they're onto something, but they don't appreciate that part of what works there is moderation and balance. Uh, that's true. Yeah, and that's exactly what's go- what happens in the office is that they they do kind of indulge the excesses of the characters, and I think with this one, they're able to kind of keep that in check, and that was great. And they and just a lot of small little moments, and that was also very good. Oscar complaining about like everybody's saying in your face, Oscar, and Oscar's like, I don't want them to not, I don't want them to break up. Yeah, that kind of thing. So stuff like that's really great. Yeah, the ensemble was all given little bits and pieces here and there, and they were all being true to themselves. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, I really, I, I'm, I'm glad you all liked it as much because I thought it was, it was quite strong. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. Yeah, and yeah, like I said, I, I hope for the best for next week, but at the same time, it, I don't know if they can be that sharp again. Yeah, we'll have to see what they do with Michael and Holly. I mean, Holly is the easiest way for them to get Michael out of town. Oh, definitely. And I think most everyone wants to see Michael and Holly be together. I mean, I, I, that would be a satisfying way for it to go out. Mm-hmm. I really like the rumor that Daryl would take over the office. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, I think that would be a riot. Yeah. I think that actor is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his his 
energy is so different from everyone in that space that that could be like the, the contrast could really work. Right. His relationship to all the characters, uh, his character's relationship to all the other characters is also interesting, a different dynamic for that office. Yeah, they've done a really good job of developing him. So it seems like he's in place to become a, a more, you know, a more central character. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that Holly, that's why Holly's here, is that that's their way that they're going to let Michael actually go off and be happy. Right. And then, yeah, give some closure to that story, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll start the new era, however long that lasts of the office. Um, yeah. So what about community? Did you, do you, what's, let's talk about Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's talk about Pierce a little bit. How are we feeling about Pierce, guys? Um, I was, I mean, I've, I've actually really liked Pierce this season, um, mainly because I've, pres- I've prescribed to the idea that he's had a very definitive arc this season of being left out mm-hmm. and trying to cope with that. And so we've seen this play out with um, the Dungeons and Dragons episode, of course, in a very silly, farcical way, but one that I think still is having an impact, despite it being silly and farcical. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even in, like, mixology, the uh, Mixology certification episode, he didn't even get into the bar because of his wheelchair. He was left out again. Yeah. He was left out of the trampoline because he was an old fogey type of thing which resulted in him getting in the wheelchair. So I think that there's been a really nice, clear arc for Pierce this season, even though he's gotten increasingly meaner and bitterer. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense based on his character. And while I haven't been like thrilled with how they've outlined it, I do kind of like the idea that Pierce, the goofiest of everyone, really, that has the story arc. The only thing that I've been kind of, that frustrated me with um, last week's um, episode, aside from, well, actually, the only thing that really frustrated me with last week's episode was that a, a kid that we barely know is enough to warrant a intervention for a Dungeons & Dragons game to help the kid from, you know, not committing suicide, basically. Right. But in this episode, no one seems to really motivated to stage an intervention for Pierce. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so I what you were just and describing was actually just kind of frustrates me because I mean, yeah. oh, depression needs a Dungeons and Dragons game, but pill addiction, uh, we'll let that go for a very special episode next week, I guess. Well, they're concerned. I mean, they they all kind of said they're worried, but I think part of why the I liked the actual Dungeons and Dragons bit. I'm not familiar yeah. with the game, so I actually thought it was funny to watch them all kind of trying to figure out how the game works. It was so good. It was really good. I think that part, but. I think that, and what you described with Pierce makes a lot of sense to me, that they, there's been some consistency in watching Pierce respond to certain situations in really, you know, similar ways each, so that they're actually developing, this character's had a consistent storyline. Um, but what, I think the thing with the Dungeons and Dragons episode, how the other characters react to him has to ring true also. And maybe right. that's where I'm having a hard time, because he was really nasty last week, and I didn't get enough of anyone trying to appeal to the human in Pierce. Mm-hmm. They were all just kind of like, Pierce! And that was about it. And so instead of having this character kind of in crisis, leading to some sort of development growth, you know, catharsis or whatever, it just was kind of, this became this one-note thing that just kept being meaner and meaner, which makes me unhappy. Yeah, without no. allowing the characters to change, grow. Right. Or, well, or have an irreparable break, either way. 
Right, and I doubt we'll get an Iraq. I doubt we'll get a break, um, just because I think Chase seems to. Re- everyone seems to like having Chase on the show, and I like having Chase on the show. I think yeah, he's too. very good. Um, but something so about I'm, it last week was very uncomfortable for me, and then something about it this week, the same thing. I'm just kind of like, ah, you know, I'm not quite sure where they're going with this. You know, in yeah. Jeff's you know spontaneous love moment at the end, I didn't buy. I'm not sure if it's spontaneous. Um, I kind of felt like we had been to this well already of him, you know, realizing how important this group is to him. Mm-hmm. And I think while this was a a subtle variation on it, I'm not quite sure that we needed a subtle variation on it at this point. Yeah. Just because, I mean, they 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 talk about this on the commentary track is that uh, for the first season is that they were supposed to have Jeff really hate these people for significantly longer than he does. But they had to adjust because everyone had so much chemistry that they just sped up his development much quicker. Yeah, because it's more fun to see them interacting as friends than it is to, yeah. And And maybe that's what I want with Pierce, too. Like, Pierce is taking over the role of being the one that causes the trouble or whatever else. But it's not developing the the other characters in in a way that would justify Pierce being kind of... Right. No, I see where you're coming from with it. Yeah. I mean, I loved the two non-lesbians. That was hysterical. <laughs> that was good, actually. I mean, that's the kind of... I like when shows kind of make fun of overly PC-defiant liberal-type characters because yeah. I very often do fall into that role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was really fun to watch that play out in a, in a fun, enjoyable way. And I thought that it was a nice poking at Britta's character because they haven't really done something like that with her in a little while. Mm-hmm. So that was really fun to do that. Though I do really want to hear what Pierce's uh, form letter for Jeff is. For Jeff is, yeah. That was, that was a good moment for Pierce, too. Uh, the two boys hitting on the librarian, also good work. Adorable. Smart, yeah. smart writing. No, it was so cute. Yeah. I mean, their hug at the end, she walks, don't worry. Hugging. It was so adorable. Yeah, it, don't pay attention to her. Yeah, they're a great, they're a great love story. But you know, Chang actually was a little less annoying this week. So I don't know why making him like super pathetic somehow seems to work. Because Chang is also again the Sue Sylvester problem. Yeah. What do you do when what makes the character funny when ramped up a hundred times more makes the character unbearable? And Chang can often be unbearable. And the whole thing with Shirley and the baby, I thought was going to be their way to try and tap into Chang as a more human person. But I don't think they know what they want to do with him yet. No, and I think tapping into a human side of Chang kind of defeats the purpose of Chang. Well, but they're oscillating back and forth. They don't seem to know fully what his role is with the group, with the show's dynamic. And so this week we got the softer side of Chang. Um, I mean, I liked the laundry and the in the dishwasher, and you know there were there were a couple of good little moments there. But you know, at the end when he's living with Jeff, I'm like, really? Is that was that was that the right direction we're heading? I just are, are we trying to redeem Chang by the end? Is he going to care at all about this baby? Well, like, he made an effort in like the uh, the school play episode to like he's making an effort, I think. Yeah. Try and adjust, try to integrate Shirley into his life, and. That was one thing that this episode kind of lacked was any Shirley whatsoever. Yeah. Which was sad, because I always, I always get sad when Shirley isn't a part of the episode in some yeah. ways. Well, they've got a lot of balls in the air, and I think... Yeah, and I mean, they, they do a nice job of balancing their ensemble, ensemble in general. 
Yeah. But sometimes it's just noticeable, and the lack of Shirley this week was a little noticeable. Though I did like how they played Annie off against her double for the um, for the uh, Brenda plot as well. Yeah. yeah. Which really nicely handled, I thought. Yeah, so there were definitely great moments, um, but there are some, some outstanding issues, namely Pierce and Chang, that I'm, I'm waiting to see if they can bring that home, you know, really make those characters work. And I think they have a better chance of making Pierce work than they do of Chang work, just because we know a little bit more about Pierce, that we understand Pierce's emotional context more, especially given that really solid episode with the death of his mom, which, right. I mean, if we go back, I mean, we could probably pinpoint that as one of those instances where these people aren't being sensitive enough to Pierce, and he's just reacting in the way that he normally reacts, which is being an asshole. Yeah. Nick, what did you think about it? You haven't said anything. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, all those things. I just want there to be more Malcolm Jamal Warner. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I would really enjoy. There needs to be more Theo. They're going to have to do more of a Shirley's pregnancy. It's a big enough life change that they need to have a plan for it. Like it needs to have an impact. And I don't mean the whole gang at the hospital while Shirley births. I, but that's yeah. a classic sitcom episode for them to lampoon. I know, and we may end up with it. Abed pretending to be a doctor, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> I, I, I can see the episode playing out right now, but <laughs> I mean, nothing's going to be to to make Nick happy. Nothing's going to beat that Cosby dream sequence of all the women having giving birth to those monster subway sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nothing's going to beat that. Nothing, but nothing will ever beat that. <laughs> And I've made Nick's day. Oh, God, yeah. What a great episode. I'm going to watch that later. <laughs> so um, I was uh, taunting uh, Noel earlier, saying that uh, the, ep- the most recent episode of The Good Wife that he felt was just really strong, that I could find a way to nitpick it a little bit. Well, you can find so. a way to nitpick anything. I mean, we're graduate students. That's what we do. Yeah, that is true. Tearing things apart is our specialty. But... So I like the Michael J. Fox character. Yeah. He comes on the show and he plays a person with a particular disability that makes him have twitches and stuff. They don't explain it as Parkinson's. It's a, it's a, another a different you know d- disorder that he has. But the as a lawyer, uh, Michael J. Fox's character plays it up in court to get sympathy. Right. I mean, it's it's so perverse. It's beautiful. Yeah. No. And I mean, I can see totally see a lawyer doing that. I mean, why but wouldn't? But this week, and, and he's been problematic in the past, and you know they've always had to kind of try and find a way to outplay his, his scheming ways. So this week, we have him challenging um, our, the, our law firm um, to, do a, to defend a whole town that there was chemicals in the ground and a lot of women are infertile and whatever else. So they're trying to put together this huge case to try and get damages. And he's trying to convince the townspeople, the neighborhood, to go with him. And Alicia's trying to get them to go with her group. And the whole time, Alicia is convinced that Michael J. Fox is scheming, that he has partnered up with the pesticide company or what have you. Well, he is scheming, just not with the pesticide company directly. Well, and that's the thing. I was really disappointed. I kind of wanted Alicia to be wrong. Oh, yeah, okay. I kind of wanted... You know, because she act. you know, I, one of my dilemmas with this show is that they like to play a little bit with the moral ambiguity, mm-hmm. but Alicia's side always wins. Right. 
And to be, really deal with moral ambiguity, I need her to go home some night and feel like an asshole. Yeah, no, I, I can that. totally do that. And so this was so, an opportunity here to actually show she, she, that she was so convinced Michael J. Fox was doing the wrong thing. And that maybe she was doing the wrong thing because they were in it for the money. No, they're, I'm, they're lawyers. They're always I know. <laughs> but I don't like when she's allowed to be righteous all the time when, in fact, there really are complex issues that this show dances around but doesn't really face directly. And I haven't seen him face it yet directly. And, you know, Peter, the direction they're taking with Peter where he's actually, like, the man with the most integrity ever, that's, that seems to be where they're going despite yeah. the past. I, I can't quite fully accept it yet. But there, too, you know, let's see Peter make a bad choice again. Let's, I'm just – I'm not sure yet – that they understand that I can root for people even when they're problematic. Yeah, no, I, I can. I, I totally understand where you're coming from, and I would certainly like to see them ramp that up a bit more. Because I mean, the most morally ambiguous stuff that we're getting with is Bond and his bringing in of a super PAC that's somehow tied to uh, the drug dealer Bishop. Yeah, and that the problem with that is is that Will and Diane clearly don't want anything to do with that. And they're using it as a way to force out Bond. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that gets we're getting into a moral ambu- ambiguous ground, but Will and Diane, two of the more fluid moralists on the show, let's, yes. I mean, especially Will. Especially Will, which I also wish they would play that up more. If we're going to have Alicia having to choose between two men, you know, if we're going to have Peter become, like, a better man because of all of this... And he's been trying to do that. I mean, he, he sure has. And I, but I can live with that. But then I need to see Will playing it more. And they, they're doing it just a little bit. Like there was a moment this week where Alicia looks at Will and you can see her like her thinking, did you just mean what you just said? Like, do I need to be worried about you not being the man I thought you were? Like, I'd really like to see that get played more. And maybe I just need to have some patience because they're doing it in little bits. But I thought there was an opportunity here with Michael J. Fox for Alicia to learn something. And that's not what happened. She was right. And Conda was wrong, which I'm always, I'm always pleased about. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What else was there in that episode that I wanted to um, mention? Because there was something else. Oh, you had mentioned um, earlier this week before you watched the episode that you had found the ending to um, the previous week's episode where Alicia leaves the door open for yeah. Peter to be really dirty. What did you think about the last scene for this week with them in bed and laughing, basically? Well, it was actually kind of nice. Okay, okay. Yeah. Just curious, uh, your comment um, when we had talked earlier. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I told Noel that it's very weird to me that Alicia choosing to stay with her husband and then at some point having to decide, are we going to be truly husband and wife? Are we going to return to our intimacy of the past? Are you, you allowed to return to my bedroom and we're going to actually make this a real marriage again? Like, I was not surprised that the conversation came up. Um, she was kind of doing both sides. You know, he was in the house. He could be a dad, but he wasn't really being a husband. Um, and so at the end of the episode, all she does is leave the bedroom door open and walk into it. And it I don't know, something about it just hit me really badly. It just, it was kind of icky. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. For some reason, Alicia and Peter's sexual life, I'm not sure it's been dealt with enough. Yeah. That, well, you know, well, they haven't had much of one. Hmm? They haven't had much of one on the show. Well, they haven't. And, you know, we, we've had Alicia show that she has a sexual side. There was the, you know, the oral sex scene to show yeah. that she does have desire and drive. But I would think that if a man cheats on you, then one of the side effects would be deep insecurity about your own attractiveness. 
And I haven't seen Peter working on that part with her. They've built other parts of their relationship. But that very basic, does my husband think I'm a beautiful woman? Does he desire yeah. me? And, you know, can he be satisfied with just me? All of those things that what I would suspect would be real dilemmas in this relationship, I'm not seeing explored. So when she opened that door, I felt like she was saying, okay, you're in the house. So I guess I better get with the program. But I didn't see her actual desire being a factor in that decision. Right. And I think that's the part that made me so uncomfortable. Right. Uh, and so this week... I didn't have to see them kiss. They didn't touch. They were just chatting in bed like friends. And I think she and Peter are great friends. I believe that part completely. Mm-hmm. But does she desire him as a husband and partner? I don't, that part I don't get yet. Yeah. So that's where my ick factor comes in. And again, you know, the, the show is probably just taking its time. Um, but I have questions. And, right. and you know, I, I feel like there, there are some opportunities that maybe are being lost because the show is just not willing to be as daring, maybe, as I would like it to be. Okay. Well, no. Oh, you want it to be more cable-y. Maybe. <laughs> well, we're focusing on a woman, so yeah. that would make it automatically less cable-y. <laughs> That's, oh, snap. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's true, but oh, snap. Yeah. Um, I think one other thing, I mean, going back to your issue of um, Alicia considering herself attractive, they've never really talked about her thinking about herself like that or looking at herself like that or other people looking at her like that, really, I think. Right. And going back through episodes, I mean, her physical attractiveness, I don't think, has ever really been mentioned or talked about. Even when um, the, the former mistress had the little internet video, and I should say, every internet video that the good wife does, I love. Yeah. Every single so. one that they create is awesome. Um, but, you know, when the, when the mistress had her own... You would think that Alicia would like, you know, maybe look at her breast and then look at her own in the mirror or something, you know, something where she would acknowledge that part of her. You know, Alicia is a bit of a cipher and they like to play with that, which is why I love the brother character, because it's like the one time we really get to see Alicia be a normal person. Right. But I, so even if even if I don't see her anguishing it all over her body, I'd like to at least acknowledge that it's something she represses. OK. No, you know, I, she's not going to face it. Then at least have, have it somehow be. A factor. I'm actually in agreement with you on this. I think that having something, having us see her through her eyes would be a nice change of pace. Yeah. So there's more that can happen there, but you know, I'll, we got a whole another half to this. Season, half so season. we'll see. Yeah. Um, should we wrap up with um, thoughts on another um, what should be a cable show probably, but is now on broadcast with the Chicago Code? Well, let me just say one thing about being human before you get there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's on sci-fi, which I don't watch anything on sci-fi. I have no connection to the channel. Um, I had heard about being human. I saw people talk about it on Twitter, so I know that it was a British show that was adapted. I have not seen the British show. I saw the promos a lot for some reason. I'm not sure which channel they were airing on, but for some reason I kept seeing these promos. And so I knew that there was a vampire, a werewolf, and a ghost. And they were all living together. And all I could get from those promos is that it was like friends with superpowers. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, it is a super melancholy show. Melancholy in a way that is really interesting to me. And there is a lot melancholy, more... Depth. Like six feet under melancholy? Or? Yes, six really? feet under melancholy. Yeah, it is interesting. So what we actually find out is that the ghost is trapped in the house. She died in the house. She was living with her fiancé, and all we've learned so far is we we think she just fell down the stairs. I'm not sure if there was more to the story. The fiancé is a character who pops in and out as the landlord, so we might get more there. 
But right now, she's a woman who deeply loves her fiancé, who was just cut down in her prime by an accident, and she has no idea why she exists. And she can't touch anything, and she can't leave the house, and the, the two supernatural characters can see her, and no one has seen her for six months. So that, to me, that's a deeply sad story. Yeah, and it's intriguing. And the fact that she can't leave the house takes away any of the silliness that I thought was going to be part of it, which was like a character that was disappearing at will. or you know, I thought it was going to be a little comedy type thing and, and she hasn't been played for comedy really at all um the vampire as always he's super hot uh, <laughs> and super tortured but he's tortured again in an interesting way he is really really tempted to kill people and in particular women that he's attracted to um and that there there is you know people are really into vampire politics on all of these shows you were getting it with the originals on Vampire Diaries. We got all over it with True Blood last season. So here um, we have the guy who played um, Lucifer on Supernatural as, like, head vampire. So he's always great at being bad. And he has some guys. And so apparently, you know, our, our, our vampire that we're following used to be world's biggest bad vampire. And at some point he made, some point he made a choice to be different. And so, you know, it, this is not new, but... I'm intrigued by the character. The actor's pretty strong, and like I said, he's super good looking. But um, but you know, I'm I'm curious to know more about why he made the choice. What was his relationship with those men? Um, what's it like to be a vampire? That kind of stuff. And then there's the werewolf whose life just sucks. He you know got bitten. It was an accident. We don't know who bit him, but we just know that it happened to him, and he had no idea what was happening, and so he had to leave his whole family behind. There's a really strong moment that at the end of the first episode, going into the second, I've only seen two so far. But his, he has run into his sister on accident. She's being very pesky, trying to find out what goes on with him. And she accidentally gets trapped in his locked room with him. And he thinks he is going to kill his sister. And you, are, you believe every moment of it. This guy is going to eat his sister, and he's never going to be able to live with himself. I mean, yeah, there's some real drama on this show. I had no idea. I, I, the promos did not give me any of it. You know, we talked earlier this year about how Lone Star had bad promos. I think that sci-fi really undersold this show. And they, oh, there's, 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 there's something interesting going on here. So I'm definitely going to keep tra- checking this one out to see what, how it develops. I'm intrigued. Yeah, even the bus ads for it are making it seem like lighter. Like it's got pictures of each three uh, characters, or each of the three characters, and you know, above the vampire one it says "Lady Killer," and uh, above like the the ghost it says "A Free Spirit." Like yeah. I would never have assumed that that show would be anything less than a comedy. Yes, isn't it strange? Yeah. Huh. So yeah, this, this this show is a is kind of dark. Interesting. That makes me want to watch it now. You should check it out. It's on demand on Comcast. I don't know what your provider is, or I'm sure it's probably, I don't know if Sci-Fi is streaming it, but I hope they are, because this show needs to be seen by more people, because I think there's something there. It just hasn't been marketed yet. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, that's my spiel on that. You guys have seen The Chicago Code. I haven't. I'm excited, though. It's on my DVR. I plan to watch it. I hear it's good. We promise no spoilers. Yeah. Uh, We'll try. Yeah. Um... (laughs) Nick, why don't you go first? Because, I mean, you were really excited about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as a huge series fan, and, you know, I'm not super into um, procedurals or cop shows or anything like that either, but there was something about this show from the promos that I was really excited about. Not a big action, uh, I mean, other, other than the fact that I watched Chuck, I'm not a big action show person either. So, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I shouldn't 
be interested in the show, but I really kind of was. And uh, I liked it for the most part. I think that they, they did a really good job. I think that this was a, almost like a clinic in pilots. Like, this pilot was really, was really well done. I mean, everything from just uh, character development to making sure that you knew where it was coming from. Uh, small little bits, uh, little business for each, uh, for each character. Uh, there was a amazing motif break uh, at, at near the end of this episode. Uh, I think that it was just well done. And even though they had a lot of voiceover narration, which bugs the bejesus out of me, I hate voiceover narration. But yeah, I thought it was. I thought it, it, I think that it's not. Uh, I, I think that the the pilot itself was good. I think that the show will be better than the pilot was. I, the pilot. I mean, I think that the the, the pilot has, shows a lot of potential for the series. And who are all the actors on it? Do you guys, who do we recognize? Um, Delroy Lindo, um, who's been okay. around forever, right. is the um, apparent antagonist. Right. Um, Gibbons. Um, uh, I'm blanking on who's playing the police superintendent. What's her name? Is it, is it Jennifer Beals? Yeah. yeah. Jennifer Beals. Which is awesome. So anyone as old as me remembers Flashdance. No. So. <laughs> I, mean, I know that she was on the L Word, so she's done more recent work. But for me, it's still Flashdance, so I'm excited. And she's oh, and, and she was on Lie to Me, so yeah, she's she does a really good job on it. I think I, I mean, who is the God Wachowski? Who is that an actor that I should know? Because um, I didn't recognize him. Yeah. I was actually thinking I knew Liam from somewhere, and I didn't. Yeah, Wachowski was was great. Um, uh, that 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 character in general. That's a character I am willing to follow. Like I, that's a character I want. I want to get to know better. Um, the, his his rule about there being no profanity also very cool. And what channel is this on? Fox. Fox. Okay, good for Fox. Yeah. What do you think about it, Noel? Um, I liked it overall. I mean, as you know, I like cop shows and doctor shows and lawyer shows and yeah. procedurals in general. Um, so I'm always happy when it's well executed and always annoyed when it's poorly executed. Um, but I I really enjoyed most of it. I, I was kind of frustrated with some of the smaller bits of the show, like his niece might as well just be wearing a red shirt. (laughs) It's true. I mean, she's clearly going to die (laughs) and it's kind of annoying. Um, and it's kind of distracting because I honestly thought she was going to die in the pilot. Oh, I do, right? Yeah. But um, I was just like, "Oh, she should." And then, oh, okay, well, she's going she's going to die eventually. Is all I keep thinking now because anytime right. I see her, I see a big target on the back of her head. Um, mainly because she's the only character that the um, our main cop character really cares about. Yeah. I mean, he's got so, his family, but they're not going to go anywhere. So, yeah. but it's it's definitely. This this uh, this niece is in the line of fire all the time, and there, there's going to be have to be a sacrifice at some point. She is going to be that sacrificial lamb to kind of push him over the edge to kind of go after Gibbons a little harder. So I mean, I'm kind of frustrated by the heavy handedness, that feeling of that happening. Um, like you, I was kind of off. I was put off by the voiceover narration. Um, mainly because while I do tend to enjoy voiceover narration, I'm less keen on it when it's doing too much expo speak for me. Mm-hmm. 
and this was kind of heavy on the expo speak. But again, it's a pilot, so I'm willing to roll with it type of thing. Right. As long as they don't keep doing that throughout the series, I'm, I'm okay with it. But as long if it was just a pilot kind of uh, motivation so they can kind of pack in as much information as they could, yeah. they, they did it relatively well for just the pilot. No, I agree with that. Absolutely. Um, what else was there? Um, oh, um, I liked it. I like his partner, his his rookie partner that he I can't whose name I can't remember. I just okay, remember. Okay, so it. is this Caleb the kid? Caleb. Yeah, Caleb. So he, I just looked it up. He's from Friday Night Lights. Oh, is he? That's super exciting. Now we've now yeah. we've definitely got Karen interested. <laughs> By the way, next week definite memorial for Friday Night Lights on my end. Okay. Is that right? I'm, 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 I haven't yet watched the finale, but uh, it's happening this week. I mean, it's already aired, but I'm, I'm going to watch it. So I, I, g- give me about a half hour to... <laughs> okay. I don't think yeah, I got so a half that hour actor is, is known from that show. Well. Um, no, so he's, um, he's actually really great on it. I was enjoying his bits of business with mm-hmm. the show and with... Um, what's, the, what's the main cop's character's name? I'm blanking. I think Wachowski, right? Wachowski, something like that. Um, no, I was really enjoying him, and I liked his, I liked his ability to pick up on things, and I thought it, I thought he was a nice foil for for the for Wachowski, which was necessary because otherwise Wachowski was just going to be too big, I think, and we needed something to ground him in, and I think Caleb's a nice way to ground Wachowski Wasaki. in general. That's his name, Wasaki. Wasaki. That doesn't even sound right. Um, <laughs> um, and I'm always down for anything with Delroy Lindo. I really am, because um, he's terrific. Yeah. So I'm eager, I'm kind of eager to see where the show goes. Um, I feel like it's setting itself up to be a broadcast version of The Wire, which I'm interested in seeing how they unfurl that. Mm-hmm. Just because of the role of cops and corruption and politics all intersecting, which right. is something that I really don't think has been done in a while on broadcast. Sure. So I'm eager to see how that plays out for them, how well it plays out. Yeah, we'll see. And like I told you, I enjoyed his no swearing rule as a way to get around FCC rules as opposed to a character trait. But it's right. also a character trait, but it's also a really solid way of getting around FCC regulations about language during broadcast. Right. So. No, I, I dig it. I think uh, it's, it's something that I can stick with. It's not like the cape where I watch it and then I have to, like, I, I begrudge having to give it, you know, the six episodes or whatever. Like, this is a show that I, I am looking forward to seeing over and over again. I'm oh. hoping they just keep the quality up, that's all. Excellent. I have, I have a good week ahead of me, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's good. If Karen gets 30 minutes for Friday Night Lights, can I have 30 minutes for Rubicon? Because I'm still there. <laughs> oh, poor Rubicon. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just kidding. I don't want 30 minutes. That, 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 that moment is long gone, I'm afraid. Uh, sad. Well, I guess that's it for us here at the Monsters of Television podcast. So, uh, do you guys have anything else before we go? No, I don't think so. No, I'm good. All right. Well, see you guys next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.